Welcome to Reading to Kids podcast. I'm your host, Jenna. And I'm your host, Peyton. And we're here to read to you or with you. We know that sometimes moms and dads don't always have the time or the motivation to read to their kids each night, and we know how important it is. So, on those nights that you're not in the mood, we're going to do it for you. Can't wait to read with you. Good job, Peyton. High five. Okay. Well, it's 921. It's not, it's it's late, but not that late. And I want to report that both of our snakes are basking in the heat light. And I think that that's so cute. Isn't that so cute, Peyton? And anybody that's listening to this, do you want to tell them what we're going to have babies of pretty soon? Jumping spiders. And if you're like, oh my God, a spider, you guys, Google cute jumping spider and that's the type of jumping spider that we have they're very very cute and even cuter like when you talk to them they'll like look at you and you're like holy crap is it making eye contact with me and then when you talk to it it tilts its head like a dog i'm just crap is not a bad word okay it tilts its head like a dog and they are the cutest stinking things ever right oh my gosh they're so cute well, anyways, our our spider Penelope is going to be having babies soon, and we're going to oh, be she's having baby. Yeah. Mhm. I know. I, I literally told you that earlier, and obviously you didn't listen to me. Yep. Cute, huh? Okay. Shh, this. How do you know she's going to have babies? Because I put her. We put the boy and the girl together. Oh, monkey. Mhm. And they got married, and when you get married, that means you're having babies. <laughs> this isn't what it looks like. Secret series by pseudonymous Bosch. Good time to change the subject, right? Book four, chapter negative two, page two thirty-five. Cast it, uh, chapter two, an old legend in reverse. Cast did not have much of a plan yet. She was hoping inspiration would t- would strike. She figured that she could make a salu- the soldiers turn around and she could slip behind them and untie the bandits, but that was, un- that was as far as she's got- she'd gotten in thinking. Unfortunately, she couldn't find a stick long enough to poke the soldier in safe distance. All of the available wood in the area had been <sighs> burned in the campfire. She looked for two low-hanging branches that she might be able to break off, but these two were missing. Are you sure you want to make these people your prisoners? She heard the jester asking the, the soldiers. Will you not be as bad as the bandits and your, yourselves? No, you will be worse. Tis true they steal from the rich, but they do. But do not the rich first steal from the poor? For some reason, Cass didn't have much faith in the jester's logic would convince the soldiers, or even that his logic logic convinced them that they would necessarily follow his suggestions more practical solution was required how much gold have you or you or you the jester continued has not the king taken from your parents what should be theirs and yours it is he who's the master thief the royal band on his head does not make him any less royal bandit i that's it be gone beast thank you for allowing me to keep my feet the regal beagles, it seemed, had decided to release the jester from canine captivity. However, the sounds of their barking, bow-wowing, and yapping made Cass 
feared that they were moving in on what they'd picked up another scent, hers. Sure enough, the yapping got louder and louder, and within less than a minute, Cass saw the dogs heading towards her. The soldiers, she knew, would be close behind. She had to take advantage of invisibility, but it only went so far with creatures whose olfactory organs were 49 times more sensitive than humans. Thinking quickly, she pulled her sweater off and threw it to the left of the direction of the boulder. Meanwhile, she stepped quietly in the opposite direction. The ruse worked. The beagles piled onto her sweatshirt, pawing furiously at the mysterious garment, looking for Cass. Why didn't she... When she didn't appear... They growled in frustration and ran in circles around the boulder, afraid to break in, into a run. Lest she attract their attention, Cass edged slowly away from the dogs. She was on the verge of escape when the dogs suddenly lost interest in the boulder and started sniffing around again. Quickly, she unbuckled her belt and tossed it in a bush. Again, the beagles drove after her, after their quarry, scrambling to get her belt and again they are frustrated to find Cass gone. The belt no longer attached to her waist. Again they sniffed. Cass, meanwhile, wet her fingers to see which way the wind was blowing. Stealthily, she crept in the wind upwind direction, hoping that it would hide her scent. Alas, she miscalculated. Beagles following, not airborne, but groundborne scent, and that started running and started running towards her anyways. Increasingly nervous, Cass bent down to untie her shoes. The game continued, although to Cass, obviously it wasn't a game. Cass tossed her left shoe to the right and the right to the left, then her right sock to the left and her left sock to the right until she was standing barefoot and shivering behind a tree. What to do next? She'd succeeded in confusing the dogs enough that they were now fighting over socks about 30 feet away from her. But... They would be diverted for only so long, and the soldiers, no doubt, would be fast behind. Cass hesitated. She might be invisible, but it certainly didn't relish the idea of, un the idea of undressing any further. Ha <laughs> ha! A particular snorting and wheezing and laughing sound startled her, like a pig imitating a hyena, or maybe vice versa. Ha ha ha! Cass reached around to find the homunculus watching her from the top of a rock. Mr. Cabbage Face, she whispered, so excited. Why do you keep calling me that? My master keeper sometimes called me a little cabbage face, but I thought it was just because she always has leftover cabbage for me. No, it's because there's there's no time to explain. How long have you been there? The homunculus shrugged his shoulders. A while. Why didn't you say anything? Too fun to watch you hopping around, he said, said the homunculus, smirking. Cass noticed that his speaking had improved remarkably now that he was no longer the one being teased, but the rather the one doing the teasing. Funny, what are you doing here? Right now, looking for food. Those cheap bandits, they don't have any meat. Only this rotting potato, and he held up a moldy potato, a worm peeking out the side. Gross, Cass said, stepping away. They eat like peasants, said the homunculus, throwing the potato into the ground in disgust. The worm he kept and popped it into his mouth. Mmm, not so bad. I think that... That's so that they can afford to feed the real peasants, said Cass, trying to ignore the end of the worm wiggling between his lips. I came here to warn you. Lord Pharaoh is looking for you. Why? said the homunculus. He frowned his eyebrows. Something about, about the secret that will make him live forever. You're the only person who can show it to him. Or the only person who can help him find it. One or the other, I forget. 
He saw it all through the eyeglass of yours. You mean he knows about the secret? Cass asked excitedly. Although the warning about Lord Pharaoh was ominous, it was also the first clue to uncovering the secret she'd encountered since the jester's world. I don't know anything about a secret. All I know is that he is a very scary man, and if he finds you, I'll offer you advice. His weakness is vanity. Show him a mirror, and you will gain a minute. A mirror? Oh, uh uh-oh. Whether it was owing Cass or the potato or Cabbage Face himself, the dogs were back on Cass's trail, yapping widely. Oh, don't worry about those blasted beagles, said the homunculus dismissively. I can get rid of them. Cass looked at him suspiciously. You're not planning on eating them, are you? The homunculus grinned. Now there's an idea. Mr. Cabbage Face. Actually, beagles taste terrible. Very gamey. Come here. I want to show you something before I go. There's no time. Look. The homunculus hopped off the rock onto a bed of leaves and pine needles, brushing them aside. He, re- he revealed a large burlap tarp. He lifted a corner and a silver candlestick poked out. Then he pulled the the tarp half all together. Underneath was a wooden chest the bandits had stole from the procession. The cast recognized the big brass lock, half open, filled with the, to the brim that contained coins and jewels. The chest was a veritable, a veritable treasure trove. It glistened and glittered and gleamed and beckoning as only treasure can. For you, he hesitated, not being very experienced with gift-giving. Nobody ever did anything nice for me before. Wow, thanks. But all this treasure really isn't yours. Give it to, give it to Mrs. Ca- Mr. Cabbage Face, Cass scolded. Besides, my job is now free, free to free those bandits. And if, and if I offer this stuff to the soldiers, they'll just take it and it, they won't be free. The homunculus didn't have time to respond. The beagles were fast descending on them. Quick, hide under the tarp, he whispered. I'll get you out of here. But you can't run fast enough. They'll catch you. Who said anything about running? As Cass dove into the pile of treasure, all the homunculus threw, threw the tarp over her. After covering the tarp with leaves, he headed towards the dogs and let out a shrill whistle. Beagles, you greedy dogs. You're no better than hogs. Catch me if you can. The homunculus made a gesture with his with his hand that Cass, watching through the hole in a tarp, didn't recognize but assumed very rude. Then he scrambled up the nearest tree. Barking angrily, the dogs pawed and scratched at the base of the tree trunk until the homunculus climbed out onto a large branch and dropped over the edge, catching the branch with one hand. Watch this, he shouted, and then he swung himself through the air, catching onto the next tree like a monkey. Ha ha! As he swung through the tree to the next, furious beagles gave chase. When a group of soldiers appeared over Rise, Calf briefly panicked, but then they too started running after the homunculus. She was alone once more. Bye-bye, Mr. Cabbage Face, she said softly. She doubted that she would ever see him again, whether in the past or the future, or some time zone in between. Cass waited about five minutes before peeling off the tarp over her head and examining the bandit's hoard. Never to one 
never to be over-interested in jewels, she couldn't help but be impressed and wonder what would happen if she took a piece or two back with her into her own time. Everything here must be worth a fortune, she thought, and then again, she didn't know how to get herself back into her own time, let alone how to bring a tiara along for the ride. Oh well, if she, even if she were a tiara type, which she most definitely wasn't, she'd never gone through that princess phase that so many girls go through. She had a feeling that her pointy ears would prevent her from wearing any tiaras anywhere. Just as she was about to tear herself away from the glittering mound, she noticed the black rock on which had gathered so many coins and rings, even the blade of a sword, the lodestone, she guessed, the same rock that she'd that she'd seen during the bandit's raid of the Duke's procession. Although, with the double monocle, it looked leaned and had no bluish glow. The sword, she thought, was a bit fancy for cutting rope. It had bejeweled, it had a bejeweled gold handle and an elaborate engraved on both elaborate engravings on both sides of the blade. But it was it would be serviceable nonetheless. It took all of her strength to pull the sword from the stone, just like King Arthur, she thought, holding the sword aloft. She laughed at herself, stared and stared, lowering the sword, then stopped with the still, it's still in midair. An idea had struck her. A crazy, far-fetched idea, an idea that had little chance of success, but it all had one thing going for it was the only idea she had. How to communicate to the jester was the one question. Using the blade of a sword, she pried as many bits of metal off of the lodestone as she could. Then she started retracing her steps back to the campsite. When she got close, she proceeded to more cautiously, proceeded more cautiously, carefully not to break twigs or send any rocks tumbling to the campsite. She'd hid the sword behind the tree. The lodestone she continued to hold in her hand like a precious, like the precious object it was. By now, the jester's feet were bound together to prevent him from running, but remarkably, his hands and mouth had been left alone. It seemed the soldiers enjoyed his stories, and they were demanding for him to tell another. But I know no more, protested the jester. You have heard them all. Then we shall gag you like the others, threatened the commander, ripping a long strip of fabric in preparation. Wait, 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 I'll think of something. Let's see, have I told you the one about the sea serpent and the maiden? Yes, shouted the sailors in chorus. Nobody saw the lodestones rolling to the ground, seeming, seemingly of its own volition. Or they didn't believe it with their own eyes if they did. And Cass, kicking the rock like a soccer ball, was able to reach the jester without difficulty. When she tapped him on the shoulder, however, he jumped, and everyone noticed. You're a squeamish fellow, aren't you? teased the commander. You got ants in your pants? Or did a mouse just fall from the, follow you from the jun- dungeon? How did you know? A most annoying mouse indeed, said the jester through its gritted teeth. He tried valiantly not to squirm, and despite of the fact that Cass was pressing the lodestone into his back, where she wouldn't be, where it wouldn't be visible to the soldiers, she waited a moment, then whispered her instructions. When she'd finished, the jester bowed formally to the commander. Sir, I have thought of another story after all, and it is the most important one, I believe. This glorious occasion, indeed, it may change your mind about the very situation in which we find which we find ourselves. You may even find yourself free to move at all. 
Seriously, I doubt that, said the commander. Wait and see. There is a legend that I am sure you know about, the sword and the stone. He who pulls out the sword from the stone is the one true king. We have all heard this legend. Yes. What is your point? My point? Ah, like the point of the sword. You are a punning soldier, and I am a cunning one. A pun? Oh, yes. You see, you are not the only one who is clever with his tongue, said the commander, puffing himself up. It was obvious that he had not intended the pun, but because he was the commander, nobody argued with him. My point is, is, is that there is more to legend than you might think, and the second point to a sword, so to speak, said the jester, the sword is called back to the stone, and then he who calls himself king, not the true king, but the false one, we owe him no allegiance. What has this to do with us? I see no sword, nor any stone. The jester reached behind his back and presented a black and gold lodestone with a dramatic flourish. Here is the fabled stone to which I allude. He said, lowering his hand to the ground. If I raise my my arm, a sword flies through the air and sticks to this stone. Will you renounce your false king and let the bandits go? The commander laughed very well. There is little risk of that. But know that your head will join the Anastasias on the platter if no flying sword appears. Very well. There is little risk of that, but I uh, consider me warned. The jester looked up at the sky and closed his eyes and solemnly pronounced, Excalibur, sword of swords, if the king be false, fly onto this rock now. The commander tapped his toe impatiently until one of the soldiers pointed. The bejeweled sword had emerged from behind a tree and was sailing through the air. Everybody, gagged, bandits included, watched into the astonishment of the swords, slowly and briefly hovered like a falcon searching for its prey. Then, in a flashing sunlight, it lurched forward and flew straight into the jester as if it, towards the jester, as if answering his silent call, the lodestone sparked at his feet. When the sword reached the stones, it paused in midair and then dove first Dove point first, it landed into the middle of the stone and stood straight, perfectly balanced, seemingly weightless, a miraculous sight. A surprised murmur rippled through, the, rippled through the crowd. Even the bandits opened their eyes wide, seeming to forget for a moment that their captive, their captive condition. One by one, the soldiers dropped to the ground, kneeling before the sword as if the sword itself were the king. Eventually, only the commander was left standing. Then he too was overcome. The sword knows all, he said. He said to the jester, eyes glistening, I renounce the king. You are all free. Oh, now, now, said the jester, grinning. There is no need for such drama. It is I who I who am supposed to put on the show here. He looked over Anastasia and winked. Cass now standing beside the jester. Though she saw Anastasia after a reluctant smile in return, I am going to get out of the way. I am going to get out of the way, Cass whispered into the jester's ear after the soldiers were gone. Come find me where they sleep. I have to tell you something that's really important. As she walked away, she tried to ignore the tired, faint-headed feeling that had slowly been overtaking her all morning. Oh, oh, I think she's waking up. 
rut row. Oy, 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 oy. Well, Peyton, are you asleep? Yep, we got ditched, guys. Okay, see you next time.